Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Good morning. What a rainy fall day, eh? My goodness. Um, welcome to our Princeton family who are uh, there, and as well, uh, Jen and Praxis, who pastor in Princeton, are right here with us right now. <laughs> Little baby, Ariella, is here as well, and the other ones are with Grandma somewhere. So, um, But we just want to welcome you guys. Thank you for all the work that you've been doing and continue to do in Princeton. For So Princeton people, make sure you say thanks to them. I know that you really appreciate their ministry. Um, we've been talking about this concept called return for the last number of weeks, uh, returning to God, returning to the Lord. And we started with just retur- this idea that we're returning not to an ogre, but to a good, good father who absolutely, and we sang about it this morning, desperately loves us and wants to see us restored to all that he has created us for. We talked about returning to the Lord in prayer. Daniel, a couple of weeks ago, talked about returning to the Lord in fasting and how fasting uh, is, is a way to address the weakness of our spirit and strengthen our spirit and as well to help us to move forward. And the last week, I talked about returning to the Lord in repentance, that we would all have space in our lives to consider that we may have wandered in some way, shape, or form from the Lord. Joel 2 says this, even now declares the Lord, return. Someone say return. Return. We're going to wake up here soon. We'll try that again. Even now declares the Lord, return Return. to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending any calamity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your word is quick, your word is powerful, Lord. I pray that it would accomplish the purpose that it's sent out to do, Lord. Lord, that we would hear not for us or not for, uh, the pers- or not for the person beside us, but for ourselves, Lord, as individuals. We'd allow you, in fact, invite you to speak to each one of us in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We have a dog named Bentley. Bentley. Bentley we've had for almost 15 years in October. It will be 15 years. Uh, Bentley, it's a miracle that he's made it this long um, because I so deeply love him. Uh, he uh, He's now getting uh, cataracts in his eye. He hardly can hear. Half his teeth are gone. Uh, we're not sure how long. He's on liver medication as well. I thought I would never be paying for my dog to have a daily tablet, but here I am. But a number of years ago, when we lived in Courtney, uh, Bentley would go to get groomed. That's another thing. If you have a dog that doesn't shed, you pay to take his hair off. So just a thing. So if someone says he's hypoallergenic, add into that the fact that he's going to have to be groomed every month because he's got to look his best, apparently. So one day we took him to the groomer, and the groomer brought her to brought him to her house, and when she and she opened the door, and Bentley jumped out and took off. And it was in a rural area, in the Comox area, and he just bolted, and, and she ran after him, and he ran off into the bush down the street and couldn't find him. And so we started to, this great search for Bentley on Facebook, and we were uh, all the things trying to find him, driving around, people taking time off work to find Bentley. Uh, 
or my kids. <laughs> uh, so we were looking all over for him, and one day turned into one night, and he was out overnight, and uh, there's lots of coyotes around and different animals that could eat him, and uh, some people were praying that he wouldn't get, others were praying differently. <laughs> I was not, I'm just kidding. But he had run off, and, and another day turned into another night. And we were driving, and I remember I was with his Bentley's number one fan, Elena, my youngest daughter. Um, and we were driving along on a back street, and we said, let's just keep trying. We're, uh, uh, the, the hope is ebbing right now for him to return. And so we look down the street, and we're driving, and we see just maybe 200 feet down the road, we see him, bent, Bentley, walking along. This is when he had hearing sight and all the things. And, and he literally, it looked like he just had his shoulder slumped, and he was walking along like this down the street, like he had been gone for a few days, run off, and, and didn't. And so we called him, and we called him, because we said, every time we chase him, he seems to run away. So let's try and call him and invite him to come. And calling him, calling him, Bentley, Bentley, Bentley. And then Elena, with her squeaky voice at the time, Bentley, 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 Bentley. And then he turns around and he looks at us and he starts to slowly come back. She keeps calling and says, and then he runs and then he does what Bentley, only Bentley will do, starts squeaking and yelling and screaming. Well, not screaming, but you know, whatever dogs do. And he was making a lot of noise, finding his way back home. We had food for him, we had water, and it was great was the rejoicing. And that was for most of us. And so the... We all love Bentley, just in our own way. <laughs> but funny enough, uh, that would have been great. But just a number of weeks later, uh, we were, often we would go to, well, not often, probably a few times a year, we'd go to Tofino on the west coast of Vancouver Island. If you've never done that before, it's a great time. Uh, we would try to surf, uh, attempt to surf, and mostly just almost drown. But get there, and we were, had picked up, uh, rented some boards, and we'd gone, and we'd come back, and we were just around Port Alberni, uh, and we were dropping off the boards. It was dark. We, I, Shannon and I opened the doors, hop out, unload the boards and the wetsuits and everything, and put them bow back, and, and Bentley was there, and, and we drove home, and we are almost home, which was about another 45 minutes, and suddenly somebody says, where's Bentley? And instantly, all three of them in the back just start screaming again. Oh, Bentley! So Bentley had stepped out of the car to use the washroom or something. I don't know what he was doing. And uh, he was gone again. So we all through a great happenstance and the Lord's help, we, uh, my parents were on their way up the island. They drove over to where we had uh, stopped at. And, and he was just sitting there in the driveway, almost like, again, like... I think he had learned his lesson, though, about running off. He was, like, sitting, like, right in the middle of the driveway, just waiting, and jumps in the car, and Bentley came home again. Return. I don't know what that had to do with a lot of things, but right now, he ran off, and he wanted to return, but when he was chased, he, very, he would run away, and he was in all kinds of danger, all kinds of different situations that could have ended him, but when he returned home, he got food, he got everything that he needed, and got everything well uh, taken care of for him. And sometimes in life, because of what's going on, we start running. We start running from situations. We start running from difficulty. There's a lot of things that are going on, and we just feel a little scattered. And if you look at what's going on in our world around us, there's enough craziness in our world. And I just keep using this phrase of there's, the world's gone crazy. The world is mad in so many ways uh, with, with what's happening, a rapid 
tribalism politically where there just seems to be not just space for disagreement but hatred, uh, where we see racial tensions, where we see all kinds of things, a rapid uh, running from biblical morality that has been around for, for generations upon generations. And then in our own lives, because of what we've been going through in this uh, last season, there, for many of us are experiencing difficulty and challenges where uh, loss, loss of different things, maybe loss of people, grief, anger, frustration. I don't know if you've noticed it, but there, uh, people have a shorter fuse right now. Is that true? Yeah, turn to the person beside you. I think he's talking about you. <laughs> talking about myself as well. And in the craziness of all what's going on, you start to think like, what is going on? Is, is there hope for our world uh, from, and, and the continual uh, blaring of the climate crisis and, and, and the pandemic and bad news upon bad news upon bad news and all the stuff that we're dealing with? And you start to say, what is going on in the middle of it all? And where I, where I read from this morning in Joel is a, one of the minor prophets, and, and he, had, he wrote, and this book was written around 835 B.C., so around 2,800 years ago. And uh, it was written during the reign of a queen by the name of Athelia, Athelia, Athelia is probably a better word. We'll call her Queen A. Queen A. <laughs> queen A, and she was not just your regular queen. She was actually had been the, the mother of the king, and the king had been killed uh, and, and died. And instead of the next one coming up and taking the throne, what she did as the loving grandmother was, that she was, she murdered every one of her grandchildren so that she could get the throne. This is a crazy story. This is worse than Game of Thrones. And she got rid of all of them except one that was escaped by the, by the auntie who grabbed him and took him away and hid him. And she was a wicked, wicked woman in the middle of it all. And during her brief and bloody reign, she led the nation into a deeper idolatry of walking away from God into an ancient, to worship an ancient God called Baal or Baal. And what Baal was is that they continually were trying to appease Baal whatever, whenever adverse conditions came, but it would almost always end with human sacrifice, with usually the firstborn of the one offering a sacrifice. So all the firstborns in the room, if you want to raise your hand, that would have been you, <laughs> literally. And so they wouldn't just, they, they would put them into the fire alive. And I'm not telling you this for any kind of gore. I'm just trying to underline that terrible things happen in the world. And God is not silent in the middle of it. And God is asking us to respond in the middle of it. Because there's terrible things happening in our world that maybe are not exactly like this, but are quite like this. And it's in that context of all that that's happening with this Queen A devastation, immorality, murder, terrible uh, climate for people, walking away from God and so much division and hatred. And it's in that context that these statements in chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4 come out. Has such a thing happened to in your days or in the days of your fathers? It's crazy. And it goes on and says, tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. Then it says this weird phrase, if you don't understand it, it's weird. What the, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust, locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. That's a lot about locusts. 
Simply locusts would come and eat everything in the land. Everything green and living would be eaten by them. And it was like trouble upon trouble upon trouble upon trouble. And kind of, to me, mirrors what's been happening in the last 20 months. Trouble upon trouble upon trouble of, in so many areas in our world, in our culture, and in our, in our relationships. And these locusts, and from our non-agricultural world, we'd say, well, so locusts came. Go to the grocery store. Costco is still open. What's going on? But ancient people often feared locust swarms because they would be they would they had no defense against them they would sometimes be 120 square miles or 120 million of them over a thousand square miles of just locusts and they would come in it would be all green and they would go through and on the way out everything was devastation gone and our modern technology can barely contain them or minimize them. Think about the horror of the ancient days because they could virtually eradicate a nation's food supply, cause food prices to go up, cause starvation, all kinds of things, and disease and economic catastrophe. So that's what was happening in this context. The Queen A had done all that she had done. And then as part of that, then there came these locusts that everything was being destroyed everything trouble upon trouble upon trouble and and as we look at that the new test the new living translation describes this in chapter or verse 12 of chapter 1 the pomegranate trees the palm trees the apple trees all the fruit trees have dried up and the people's joy has dried up as well what's going on around us often affects us more than we realize fruitlessness difficulty barrenness, trouble upon trouble upon trouble, weariness, fighting, division, and the people's joy has dried up. Another one says the joy has withered away from the people, anxiety, anger, weariness, joy, gone. As always, when we wander from God, we open the door for the enemy to steal, to kill, and destroy. So when things are happening like this in our world, like they are today, it should get our attention to say, God, what would you be, what would you be doing and saying? When things are out of order or chaotic in our own life, Lord, what could you be doing? Because not all the time, it doesn't mean every natural disaster is a result of sin, but when it happens to the, to the people of Israel, it can remind us that spiritually there are effects for sin, both personally and corporately, and nationally for our sin. It doesn't just happen, the chaos, trouble upon trouble upon trouble, just because all the time. God so deeply loves us that he will discipline us and sometimes even send severe trials our way to call us back to himself. Doesn't mean everything that comes that's difficulty and trouble is always from God. We live in a sin-cursed world where the world is under sin. We live where people sin against us and we experience that pain. But there is also our own sin that God is always and continually working and dealing with us because not because he wants to destroy us, but actually because he wants to stop sin from destroying us. He knows what would destroy us. And so when he puts the pressure on us, so to speak, Hebrews 12 says it this way, the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. That word disciplines means this, to train someone up so that they can mature and reach their full potential. Everything that God's doing in us and through us is to bring us to our full potential in God. 
so that you can be who God's called you to be, so that you can live the life that God's called you to live. And that word correction or dis, uh, correction means that God brings things into our life to get us back on track. Discipline is love. Correction is acceptance, he says. And sometimes in our world where there's been discipline, sometimes has been done so poorly, either on one extreme, not at all, or on the other extreme, in violence, that we get a bad picture of the word discipline. The word discipline just carries this meaning that God is training us and bringing us forward to help us step into all our potential in him. Because he wants to destroy the plan that's destroying you and destroying me, destroying our nation, trouble upon trouble upon trouble. But why do we care about something that happened 2,856 years ago in Joel? How could that be possibly relevant? The New Testament apostle Paul said this, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. So for all of us, when we see and read things like this, we say, God, what would you say? What would you do for us? And it calls us as, as the prophet did for the, those people. He said, now, therefore, turn to me with all your heart. Turn to me with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. So rend your hearts and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, compassionate, and of great kindness. And all these number of weeks we've been talking about returning to the Lord, returning to the Lord. And is there space in our hearts and in our lives to acknowledge that what's going on in the world around us, that we could see potential things change by returning to the Lord? That our families could look different because we return to the Lord. That our individual lives could look different and because we return to the Lord. That the sin and the addiction that continues to hold us could be broken if we turn to the Lord. That families could be restored and marriages could come together if we return to the Lord. And so I want to draw a picture for you this morning, not just of repentance, but start to turn your attention to what God does in moments of returning. Because as we are returning, God is restoring. As we look look back at what God's calling us to step out of. It's not just so we get to this space. It's so that he can restore us back to what he's called us to be. And in the Old Testament, God even promised to his people, he knew that we would wander. And in the middle of it, he said, when you return, this is what I'm going to do. In Deuteronomy 30 and verse 3, God, your God, will restore, will restore everything you've lost. You'll He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from the places where you were scattered. I feel like a lot of things have gotten messed up in the last season. A lot of pieces of our relationships, pieces of our heart, pieces of our strength, pieces of so many things are just kind of scattered and we're trying to figure out what's next, trying to figure out how to put it all together. God... As we return, God, your God, will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places you were scattered. Restore, compassionate one, picking up the pieces of our life. And the rest of Joel, go, this book goes through and just starts talking about what God does as we return. And I want to turn your attention to that, that God's hand begins to move in and for you. As we return to the Lord, he's providing for us. 
He's providing for us in the middle of it. He says, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Now, these are pictures in an agricultural economy that, that, that we in that we say, what would that mean today? Is that in every space they needed grain, they needed olive oil, they needed all this oil, they needed all that. And God is reminding them in a place where there's been trouble upon trouble upon trouble, where devastation has come, where you felt scattered, where you felt broken, as you return to me, know that I am providing for you. Know that I'm making a way for you. Know that I'm coming through for you. Know that I am the one who has promised to supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. Know that my hand is on you for good. And as you return to me, I begin to reorder things that have been out of order. And God begins to release provision for you in a way that is impossible for you. That God begins to move in your life and provide for you physically, provide for you mentally, provide for you emotionally in areas where you've been depleted, in areas where you've come at less than, at areas where you feel like you're just hanging on. Know that as you return, God is working and he's providing for you in ways that are going to surprise you, that are going to surprise you, that God is at work in the middle of the trouble upon trouble upon trouble, in the middle of the broken pieces. He's putting things back together as we return to him. As we are returning, he is restoring. I feel for someone this morning as I was preparing this that that you have felt in, a, in this season so much lack in so many areas, and I don't know who this is for, but I want to declare to you today that God is turning something for you. If you, you know who you are, that God is turning something for you, and his provision is going to become seen for you in a way that will surprise you, and it's going to come in a way that, that you're not even prepared for. As you return to him, know that God is working things out for your good good in his glory. And not only that, he is fighting for us. He is fighting for this. I will drive the northern horde from you, far from you. Sound, he's not talking about Canada, I don't think, but I will drive the northern horde for you, far, far from you, pushing it into a parched land. Far from you, far from you. Some of you have been pushed around, knocked around, kicked around, beaten up, turned turned against, betrayed, talked about in so many ways, maybe by the enemy, maybe by the people around you, maybe by the situations of life, and maybe have even felt that God has not been paying attention to his job. But as we are returning, know that God is fighting for you. Know that God will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. Exodus 14 and 14 says that the Lord is fighting for you. You are not alone. You have not been forgotten. Where you have seemed to be pushed back, the God is pushing back the enemy on your behalf. As you return to him, he is restoring and his hand is moving on your life. The Bible says in Psalm 512 that he has surrounded you with his favor like a shield. As you return to the Lord, he is pushing back what has been pushing on you. Somebody just do this and push back. There's a pushback coming right now. There's a pushback coming right now that what has been pushing on you, God is pushing against it for you. I don't know what or who exactly that is for this moment, but know that as you turn to God, he will fight for you. He will fight for you. 
He's fighting for you. He's providing for you. He's fighting for you. He's fulfilling you. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine tree yield their riches. Our lives begin to become what God created them to be. I was talking with someone last night and they were saying, what is next for me and God? Is there still a plan for my life? Know that as long as you are alive and still breathing, that God's hand is on you, that there's a purpose for your life, that whatever has gone on to cause you to just get in a holding pattern or maybe wandering around, the trouble upon on trouble upon trouble has caused you to put your feet or your eyes only on what's just in front of you, that you would begin to lift up your high eyes and say, God's hand is on my life. I am not forgotten. Surely I'm moving ahead that the plan of God for my life, that everything I was created to be can be, that what has held me captive, God is breaking, that what lies have been spoken about me, God is breaking, what the hand of the enemy has tried to stop me, that God is causing me to come into fruitfulness, even even when there's been trouble upon trouble upon trouble, that God is moving and fulfilling his good purpose in you, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, that he is not done, he's not finished in you. He's fulfilling all his good purposes for you. God desires to cause you to come into who you were born to be that the, what's going on around you, that what's been coming against you is not going to determine the next step in your life, that God is moving on your behalf. As we are returning, God is restoring. And I love this. He said, the next one is just talks about the joy in us. How many of us need some more joy in this season? And we've been looking, and this season has taught us again and reminded us again that if we depend on what's around us to have joy come out of us, we're going to be in a world of hurt. But when we understand that joy is something deeper, that it's a work of God on the inside, that God begins to, no matter what's going on and swirling and all that, that there is joy that comes out of us. Joy, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the enemy will do do everything he can to rob your joy because if he robs your joy, he robs your strength. If he robs your strength, he, he causes you to be ineffective in him, uh, in God. So the joy of the Lord, as we invite him in, he begins to heal. He begins to restore. He begins to change our perspective. He begins to do something on the inside that is impossible for the world around us. But because Jesus is inside of you, if you're a follower of him, then know that the joy of the Lord can come in the middle of incredibly difficult circumstances. Sometimes you have to put on some worship music. Sometimes you have to say, Lord, I need a release of your joy because I need to move forward in God right now. And then there's this beautiful picture of overflowing from us. It says the threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Going from just getting by and just survival mode to moving into overflow. And I'm not just talking about your finances. I know that often we think right away to that. My bank account's going to grow. Maybe. I don't know. I'll let God prosper you how God wants to prosper you. But know this, that God intends you not to just be a survivor, but be one that would overflow. Be one that would be a soul walk with such a, uh, a great peace that there's a peace that overflows. That when you walk into the room because of what God's doing in you, because he's restoring, that in places where there's been no joy, that you will bring joy. In places where there's been hope that's just been gone, that you will bring a hopeful attitude and atmosphere in the room because of who Jesus is. In places where there's been hatred, you will bring in love. That that's what the people of God do. We overflow. Overflow. 
Our world needs some overflow onto it. The world needs to see that it makes a difference to follow Jesus, that the overflow of God would just flow out of us. Kindness, the goodness, the love, the peace of God would flow in us. Then it's a deep work that God does. As we are returning to him, he is, re he is restoring us. Overflow. You are not under your circumstances. You are walking with Jesus through your circumstances. And I'm saying a lot of things that I know for some of us are like, that's not my experience right now. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm prophetically declaring over people the plan that God has, that we have had our eyes on what was, maybe what we were looking to go back to. We had our eyes on the trouble upon trouble upon trouble. We've had our eyes on what's going on inside us. But I'm here to remind us that as we are returning, God is restoring. Overflow. How many of us are candidates for overflow? God, I need an overflow in my life and through my life. And finally, this word restoring. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Some of you have literally had some years stolen from you. Because of some of it, because of what people have done to you. Some of it because of injustice. Some of it because of your own issues. Some of it because of just things of life, and you realize so many things. But I love what Jesus says here. I will restore. Someone say restore. I feel like this is a justice moment for someone. Someone that has been wronged or the enemy has stolen from you, that you would stand in this right now, even right now, and say, God, I thank you that you will restore everything that has been stolen in this season that you will have the last word. The betrayer will not have the last word. The abuser will not have the last word. The hater will not have the last word. God is a restorer. And then we see this beautiful shift where God brings back to restore, but then he, in verse 28, he starts to turn our eyes. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see vision. And even on my servants, men and women, everybody. And Peter talked about this in Acts chapter 2, which you can go look at that later in the New Testament, where he says this is the start of when God move, begins to birth the church, where the Holy Spirit, the God who is out there, becomes and begins to move on us from the inside. But look what happens. In a place where there had been trouble upon trouble upon trouble, devastation in so many spaces and places, personally, corporately, nationally, and even for us right now, trouble upon trouble upon trouble, that God would begin to lift our eyes to say, do not forget where I'm leading you. See, because in moments it says this, that he gives fresh dreaming again. Dreaming again. As God has been, as we have been returning, God is restoring, and some of us have forgotten to dream again. We've been in survival mode. So I'm asking you, I'm calling you to say, Holy Spirit, would you cause me to dream again? Dream dreams.
Dream God dreams, visionary people, a people that don't live by what they see, but by, but by what God sees, a vision for what God could do in your family, that you would have a fresh vision for what God could do in your life, that we would have a fresh vision of hope and possibility and looking forward to what God could do as we return to him. Not just survival, not just getting back to what was, but a vision that pulls us forward, a vision that says, God, could you still change a family? God, could you still change my life? God, do you still break addiction? God, do you still break hopelessness? God, do you still break despair? God, do you still change a region? Do you still change a neighborhood? Do you still change Canada? Dream again. Can someone bring me that book that's on my front chair there, please? Thank you. Does God do it? I've been reading a book called Canadian Mantles of Revival among many that I've been reading in this last while. But in 1971, can God do it? In 1971 in Saskatoon, somebody say Saskatoon. Anybody who is watching online from another part of the world is like, what is that? Saskatoon, a community in Saskatchewan. (laughs) 1971, Pastor Bill McLeod was very concerned about his church. It had little or no interest in soul winning, and all that he knew to do was to call the church to pray, to return, until a compassion for souls began to come. His first step was to call the deacons to prayer, and every Saturday they would meet, not for a long time, but begin to pray. And then they started to say to the people, we want you, all of you, at midweek prayer. Uh, and even if you miss Sunday, be up with midweek prayer. We and then they started a prayer wheel where they had a 24-hour clock and asked that we would be that they would be praying. And their prayer was very simple: "Lord, revive us." And they prayed for months after months and prayer, home prayer meetings and fiery intercession. They remained true to one prayer: "Revive us." And then they brought in, after months and months, they brought in some itinerant evangelists, Lou and Ralph Cetera, who were twins. Um, and they were invited to, to Saskatoon, intended to come for 12 days, and they ended up staying for seven weeks, 49 days. The first service was like a dam breaking as the altar workers that Bill McLeod had prepared were the first ones rushing to the altar to repent. Quickly, the crusade had to move venues to accommodate the hungry crowds. First, the Anglican Church, then the Alliance Church, then the United Church, which seated 2,000. Still, the crowd streamed in. And by the second Sunday, the crusade had moved to a stadium where it continued for six more weeks. The revival was marked by deep repentance, widespread restitution, that means making things right, and restoration of relationships. The Daily Newspaper interviewed the non-Christian police chief who said, quote, I'm not a religious man, but I do know the difference between normal church work and revival. And revival has come to Saskatoon. I know because people are coming in by droves and confessing to crimes that they have committed that we did not know about. We've never had this happen before. And after investigating the, uh, the revival, German author Kirk Koch shares this report. Taxi cab companies would receive calls for cabs to drive people to church well after midnight. Even though the cab drivers would protest, there is no church open at this time of night. The customers would insist, declaring they must get right with God. The driver would then discover to his surprise light in the window of several churches at one or two in the morning. The spiritual climate was completely changing in the city as so many people turned from sin and surrendered to the Lord. 
Prayer requests that had been agonized for over years were rapidly being answered. Every day brought breakthroughs. Everyone had answers to prayer that they could testify about. The acceleration of revival and momentum in the city grew, which led to widespread salvations. The church became aware that they were thoroughly revived when the unbelievers around them were easily led to Jesus. Because of this, people who had never led someone to the Lord were on fire and leading hundreds to faith. The pastor's original concern that his church didn't have a heart for souls was completely turned around in a glorious outpouring where barrenness became fruitfulness, returning to restoring. I don't tell us that just to say, oh, that's kind of neat. I believe that that's part of what God wants to do again. And it's easy for me to say words, but I want, I've wanted to show you through the scripture what God wants to do in returning. He wants to do all these things in our life. He wants to show himself strong for you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to, to restore your joy. It's all part of God's purpose to not just revive you, but to revive your family, to revive your neighborhood, to revive our region. Could God do it again? I don't know. I think he could. Could God do it again? Someone said, absolutely. I don't know who that was, but amen. God could do it again. As we are returning, God is restoring. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I want to draw, as I said, start to turn from returning in repentance and prayer and all that and start, begin to return. What could God be doing for us? What could God be doing through us? What could God be doing that's bigger than we can think or imagine? I invite you to stand to your feet. Whether you're online or wherever, I'm just going to ask you just to close your eyes and just, just simply, we're going to ask the Lord just a simple question. Just ask, Lord, would you revive me? If that's your prayer of your heart, just keep your eyes closed for a moment. Say, Lord, I need, first, would you revive me, Lord? Revive me. Revive me. Restore me. Thank you that in returning, you're restoring. If in this moment that you're saying, Craig, I, I'm one who needs reviving, just lift your hand in the room. It's all over the room. Be brave, be bold. I need reviving. I need reviving. I need reviving. Can I just ask you to begin to speak that out? Revive me. Revive me. Just be bold. Speak it out. Revive me, Lord. Just We ask you to revive us, Lord. Revive us according to your word. Lord, revive your church. Revive your church in Princeton. Revive your church in Surrey. Revive your church, Lord. Revive me. Revive my family, Lord Jesus. Revive my neighborhood. Revive us, Lord. We need you, Lord. In returning, you are restoring. 
Lord, I pray that over these next number of months, Lord, as we keep returning to this theme at various ways and means, as we call people to pray, as we call people to fast, as we, as together, Lord, we seek your face, Lord, we're asking that you would revive us, Lord, revive a compassion in our souls, Lord, revive a, revive a heart to know you, Lord, revive vision, revive dreaming again, revive the prophetic perspective of God, that, Lord, we would get our eyes off of all the things that are going on around us and look to the God who is leading us. Look to the God who is calling us. Look to the one who, who, is, uh, uh, who is greater than all that's going on. And maybe you're here in the room and you're, Craig, you're just with your eyes closed. Uh, I, you're talking about returning. I don't know that I've ever turned to God. And the Bible says that God who is rich in mercy and abounding in love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were blowing it, while we weren't, while we were out of control, while we were sinning against God in all kinds of ways that we would not be proud of, know that God came and sent Jesus to be the forgiver of, of our sins and the leader of our life. And if you've never made Jesus the forgiver of, of your life and the leader of your life, the Bible says, there's a story in the Bible where it talks about seven little words that justified someone or made them right with God. It's simply this, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And you begin a journey that God, you pass, the Bible says, you pass from death to life. You go from being an outsider to an insider, adopted into God's family. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, comes and resides inside of you and begins to change your life. From that moment, the momentum of your life begins to shift. If you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, with it, just give privacy to the people around us as we close our eyes. If you would like to do that today, just raise your hand and I want to pray with you. That's Jesus to be the forgiver and leader of your life. Lord, thank you that as we return, you're restoring. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you that you're moving on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, that this morning you're lifting eyes. You're lifting our heads up to look with expectation to the future, not because of what's going on around us, not because trouble upon trouble upon trouble, but because as we return, you are restoring. Restore hope this morning restoring vision this morning, restoring joy this morning, entering into a season of restoration, Lord, so that we can be all that we're called to be, that we can live as you've called us to live. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.